is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Okay, so this is from 1 Kings, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their, to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel." Moreover, you also know what Joab the son of Zurah said to me, how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner the son of Ner and Amasa the son of Jetha, whom he killed, avenging in time of peace for blood that had been shed in war, and putting the blood of war on the belt around his waist and on the sandals on his feet. Act therefore according to your wisdom, but do not let his grey head go down to Sheol in peace. Deal loyally with the sons of Bazilla the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table, for with such loyalty they met me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. And there is also with you Shimei, the son of Jerah, the Benjaminite from Berim, who cursed, with, who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day I went to Menaim. But when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now therefore do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do to him, and you'll bring his grey head down to, with blood to Sheol. And then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the time that David reigned over Israel was forty years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and thirty-three years in Jerusalem. And so Solomon sat on the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. Thank you. Right. So this morning we're looking at... Um, what was entitled David's Charge to Solomon. So we're looking at the what was obviously what David said to Solomon uh, before he, just before he died. Um, so I'm going to start off with a quick question. What would your final words be? If you, were, if you knew your time was short, maybe you'd been given a few hours to live, what message would you want to communicate? Who are the people you'd want to get that message to? Uh, would it be your husband, your wife, your children, a family member, or maybe a long-lost friend? Uh, you want, or maybe you want to see, seek to uh, resolve a broken friendship. What would it be for you? Today we finish our series looking at the life of David, a hugely significant character in the Bible. This shepherd boy who became king and who is honoured as an ancestor of Jesus has taught us much over the last few months. We're going to be looking at what can be considered the most significant things he ever said. How can I say that? Well, these are the last recorded words of David, the great king of Israel. David is speaking to his son Solomon, the new king of Israel. These words can be seen as those which David feels should define Solomon and his rule. This is David transferring the final vestiges of his kingdom over to his son prior to his death. Why are they the most significant words? Well, our culture suggests that final words people speak carry more weight than 
and that they can be an indication of someone's deepest passions or maybe their highest priorities. Winston Churchill reportedly said, I'm ready to meet my maker. Whether my maker is prepared for the great ordeal of meeting me is another matter. Whilst others have become part of popular culture, I'm just going outside and maybe sometime. Uh, that was Captain Lawrence Oates um, after the ill-fated Antarctic expedition or during it. Uh, um, and Oates was afraid that because he'd become lame, he'd slow others down. Some are more faith-filled, perhaps, like Charlie Chaplin, who said, why not? It belongs to him. In response to the priest saying, may God have mercy on your soul. Um, and maybe more profound, Bob Marley uh, reportedly he has said, money can't buy life. Uh, an interesting one there. Um, so it's good for us to spend some time thinking about the pearls of wisdom that the most famous king of Israel had for his son and heir and the new king. Remember, Solomon is the son of David and Bathsheba. He's, uh, their firstborn son died as part of God's judgment upon David for sleeping with Bathsheba and murdering her husband. Um, but here we find another story of redemption, God transforming circumstances. In 2 Samuel 12, 24 to 25, it said that Solomon was born and the Lord loved him. And because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedediah, which means loved by the Lord. I'm just going to pray before, so I'm just, I'm going to pray before we, we carry on. Lord, I, I want to ask that you would speak through these words, this, this, um, what I feel you've given me to share this morning, I just ask that uh, you would speak into people's hearts and that uh, they'd take away something of uh, your heart for them this morning. Amen. So what did David charge his son to do? We've said these are the final words of the king, his final charge to his son. They're an encouragement for him to follow the way of the Lord and to hold fast to the things he's been taught. David was charging his son to walk in God's ways and to do this in a wholehearted manner. So what did he say? He charged him to walk in obedience, to keep God's decrees and commands, his laws and regulations, as in Moses' law. Why did he do this? Do this so you may prosper in all you do and, what, and wherever you go. Do this so that the kingdom will endure as God promised. God's promise was, if your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. That's 1 Kings 2.4. To David, this is the, the ideology of his kingdom. It's the divine mandate for his dynasty to serve the Lord and to walk faithfully with him. This is the one indispensable condition of continued blessing upon the kingdom and continuity between the ages. David is showing his son that effectively um, he's giving him the keys to continued blessing and ongoing continuity. David believes that the only way God's intended blessing will be upon his kingdom throughout the generations is if his descendants continue to follow the Lord. Not only is this what David believes, this is what God promised. Um, David gives his son direction in two ways, how to live well and how to rule well. These are wrapped up together, but for the sake of ease, 
We'll, try, we'll treat them separately for now. So, living well. David shows his son how to live well. He reminds his son that the key to manliness and living well is to obey the Lord's commands, rules, and decrees. These aren't mentioned in huge detail, but David is trying to direct his son to live well before the Lord and to seek him with all his heart. The promise that, God, that the Lord gave David also tells us something of David's relationship with God, with all their heart and soul. It isn't just about following um, or observing rules and regulations out of some kind of duty. It's actually more about walking faithfully with heart and soul, i.e. giving everything. David isn't encouraging his son to be a law observer. It's easy for us to read into the Old Testament text that Solomon is to observe religious rules and regulations. However, we know that David was a true worshipper. He wasn't someone who was half-hearted. Remember, God described him as a man after my heart who will do all my will. That's Acts 13.22. David wasn't just an observer of God's rules. He didn't just tick things off a list. He had a real heart relationship with God. And God was confident that David would fulfill his will. What we should note is that David was encouraging his son to continue in this, to continue a deep walk with God, both personally and also in the way he ruled. He was encouraging Solomon to walk before God faithfully and serve him wholeheartedly. And David understood that the blessing of God upon his kingdom and its prosperity are intimately linked to the way that the king lives and rules. Not only that, but God's blessing will not continue upon his dynasty if his sons are not faithful. So David was keen to impress upon his son the importance of walking faithfully with God because he wanted his son to succeed and fully establish his kingdom. And David also felt that doing that was truly manly. So here we are, men. David, the greatest king, believed that living for God and being sold out heart and soul for him was a demonstration that a boy had reached manhood. David isn't impressing on his son the wisdom of conducting sorry, David is impressing on his son the wisdom of conducting his life in the presence of God. We're not sure, but some historians believe that Solomon was a young man, possibly very young, maybe even twelve, when he became king. In the light of this, the words act like a man have even more force. I don't think we should overlook the association between God's blessings and our faithfulness to him. Don't hear what I'm not saying. We live under a covenant of grace. And some have suggested an easy way to remember that is God's riches at Christ's expense. Material blessings aren't directly related to our faith in Je- sorry, aren't directly related to our faith in Jesus. In fact, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. However, there is a clear link between the blessing of the kingdom of David and their faithfulness to God. One criticism of the gospel of grace is that when it's misunderstood, people feel free, sorry, feel they have free reign or carte blanche to do whatever they want without any consequences. David is teaching his son that, yes, their kingdom has been blessed, but there is a direct correlation between this blessing and the king's faithfulness to God. Should this faithfulness wane, so also will the kingdom. It's important for us to teach our children that God will bless us as we are faithful to him. Yes, we should also teach them that blessings are not just financial ones. 
and that this doesn't always mean that life will be free of trouble. But it does mean that God will never leave or forsake those who trust in his name. Even in our bleakest moments or the most difficult situations we face, he is always with us. This is something that should shape and equip our children for the rest of their lives. So the second point, ruling well. David wanted to ensure that God's promise um, would be fulfilled and so encouraged his son to walk faithfully with God. Yet we also see him directing his son in some affairs of state. David is aware of people in the kingdom that Solomon will need to deal with wisely if he's to secure his rule over the nation. Some commentators feel that David should have sorted these things out before his death so that his son could establish his rule more easily and seamlessly. Yet for whatever reason, we find that there are people within the kingdom that Solomon will need to deal with. To me, this shows maturity on David's part. We aren't always able to do everything we want, able to finish everything we set out to do. I suppose there are probably very few people who on their deathbed feel no remorse for the way that they have left certain relationships or the difficulties they may leave for people behind them. We all, no doubt, will have faced situations where we wish we could have done things differently or that the outcome was different. Here David clearly identifies outstanding issues which, De- which Solomon must deal with in order to firmly establish his kingdom. These are either people who have been compromised by their own actions or have been f- found to be treacherous towards David and therefore dangerous to have around. What I've noticed is that David doesn't tell his son exactly what to do. He leaves it up to him to decide how to proceed. He shares from the wealth of his wisdom in terms of who to watch out for, but doesn't take away his son's responsibility and new position of authority by telling him how to deal with them. Is David allowing his son to make his own decisions? Maybe he is giving space for Solomon to show his own nature and style so that he can establish his kingdom in his own way. Allowing Solomon to make the decision himself, he also allows Solomon to mark more clearly the beginning of a new era. Does David also show us in this action that he trusts his son to make good decisions? David actually says, you are a man of wisdom, you will know what to do to him. What son wouldn't want to hear such words of approval from his father, especially from King David? This must have been a massive confidence booster for Solomon, the new king. David is clearly confident that his son will be a wise ruler and confident that he would make good decisions about how to direct policy and how to protect his kingdom. It isn't just a witch hunt, I don't think, for people that David bears a grudge against. There's also advice here about whom to trust. David shows Solomon how to reward faithfulness and how to honour people within his kingdom. He wants to ensure that those who are faithful to him continue to receive a blessing in his son's kingdom. The sons of Barzilla of Gilead are given a high honour. They should eat from Solomon's table. This effectively means that they will be given a personal pension, a royal allowance of food and clothing, as well as land, buildings from the royal estate. This was a high honour, and David was showing how to honour those who were worthy of it as well. 
So David is showing Solomon how to make good decisions, how to honour people and how to deal with those who threaten the kingdom. For us, there are so many things we can learn from this short passage. David wanted to guide his son to rule well. His desire for his son to succeed should be an encouragement to us as parents in the widest sense of the word to give to those we have responsibility for wisdom for life. What David saw as key to his son's success was following the Lord wholeheartedly. We shouldn't expect our children or those we care for to immediately know what is good and what is bad. We need to be clear with them the way they should go. Later in his life, Solomon wrote the following words, which have become quite famous and are often quoted. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22.6 I wonder whether Solomon may have been thinking of this occasion with his father when he wrote that. David was showing his son how to be wise in choosing who to honour and who to guard against. This is an important skill for us too. Oftentimes it's easy to receive blessings from others in our time of need, but forget them when they need support in return. David here is ensuring that those who have blessed him continue to receive a blessing. At the very least, this should teach us to be caring to one another and where we have been blessed to return the kindness. So do you need to honour someone who's been kind and gracious to you in the past, but may themselves be facing uh, or finding life difficult at the moment? This can be as simple as sending a card, writing a note, an email, maybe a Facebook post, uh, even ringing them, maybe, possibly, for a chat. Um, But it may be you feel led to support them in a different way. That's fine. Um, Just do it. I think as parents, um, I have a great responsibility to teach children how to live their lives well. And we do this not only in the big things, but also in the small things. Um, my dad sadly died when I was really young. And despite this, I learned a lot from him. As I was thinking about this passage, um, I was reminded of a time uh, when my dad was telling me off. Uh, I was being rude about someone uh, who had a funny surname. Um, seems really silly now Um, but I wondered for many years why I should remember my dad telling me off Uh, surely a happier memory would be more appropriate Um, yeah I've come to some kind of revelation about it recently Uh, Proverbs 13.24 says the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them and Proverbs 3.12 says the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in I know my dad loved me And yet with a memory like that, you could ask a question. Um, But actually, this memory confirms to me that he loved me. He loved me enough to discipline me well and to show me that I needed to honour people and not make fun of them. And this is a key thing we must learn as children, respect for others. If we don't learn this, we grow up to be self-centred and obnoxious and can easily hurt others. So what sort of uh, example are you setting your children or those you care for Do you need to change this to honour them and help them grow? David is ensuring that Solomon is clear that he must deal with things like a man. He must face up to threats to his kingdom and yet also honour those who have blessed him in appropriate ways. These roles are an important part of being a king and must not be overlooked. Solomon, later on in the passage, clearly dealt with the people that his father warned him about. 
it, was impor- it is important to deal well with those who oppose or who may harm us. I'm not suggesting that using the same force Solomon uses would be appropriate in our setting. Um, he uh, had them killed in various different ways. Uh, mostly pr- uh, they had prior warning though, so he was gracious to them as well. Um, uh, this could be, um, so for us, uh, there could be a variety of reasons. Maybe you've got friends who spend the whole weekend spending loads of money clubbing on alcohol and then do really silly things. Um, maybe it's best to avoid spending the whole weekend with them, but only meeting up at certain points, uh, especially where you begin spending more money than you can afford um, or met on socialising and you run out of cash for food at the end of the month. Um, but we all have different situations which uh, we find challenging um, more than others. And you need to be aware where, of where your limits are um, and avoid situations where you may be compromised or you're tempted to do so. And that's just part of being wise and living well. Likewise, if you struggle with negative attitudes and yet you only spend time with those who are negative, uh, you're reinforcing that, really. Um, if you struggle with that, surely it'd be wiser to spend more time with those who have a more positive outlook and who can help you gain a different perspective. Um, obviously, those are just two, two um, situations, but uh, there, there are lots of others. So maybe you need to reassess how much time you spend or how you spend time with people you find negative influence on you. So conducting our lives in the presence of God. Basically, David was encouraging his son to conduct his life in God's presence. He would do well to remember the ideology that David was passing down at the end of his life, and we would also. The mark of David's kingdom was this ideal, to serve the Lord and to walk faithfully with him. If Solomon does this, David was certain of God's continued blessing on his son and his dynasty. So how can we do this? The challenge is, what does this look like in practice? How do we, call out, uh, sorry, how do we live out the call to worship in spirit and in truth with all our heart, and so I believe that this is very simply walking with Jesus through thick and thin it isn't about getting everything right as we've seen in this series David really didn't get everything right walking with Jesus is about coming to the Lord when we know we've messed up seeking his forgiveness and changing how we live it's about our day-to-day priorities what we set our hearts on not only that it's the decisions we make when no one is looking as much as the decisions when everyone is. It's being diligent at work, at school or college or university. It's being open to hearing God's voice in the lunch queue, in the playground, at the school gates or in the coffee shop. It's not just about an inner heart attitude, but also about how we live out our daily lives. It's, about, it's also about being honest with God. God doesn't expect us to be perfect, but he does expect us to be honest with him. That's Rick Warren. Remember the story of Job. He, wasn't allowed to, he was allowed to vent his bitterness during his ordeal. And in the end, God defended him for being honest. And he rebuked his friends for being inauthentic. God told them, you haven't been honest either with me or about me. Not the way my friend Job has. My friend Job will now pray for you and I will accept his prayer. That's the message version of Job 42.7. Our goal isn't to keep a lot of rules, but to actively seek to build an intimate friendship relationship with God. 
the sort of relationship where it could easily be said of us that we were men and women after God's own heart. We need to remember that as Christians we are temples of the Holy Spirit. That the promised Holy Spirit of John 14:16 lives within us. He affirms to us that we are sons and daughters of God. Not only do we have all the rights of sons and heirs to the promise, we also have the ability to live through the power of the Holy Spirit as Jesus did. Unlike David, we can see and begin to comprehend the finished work of what Jesus did on the cross, his death and resurrection, which stands as a testimony to the grace of God. You see, David saw and understood something of this before it had been fully revealed, which the following poem attributed to John Bunyan speaks of so more eloquently than I could. Run, John, and work the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. We are free to conduct our lives in the very presence of God, not just once a year in a temple or following the sacrifice of bulls and lambs. You see, the sacrifice has already been paid, and therefore, as we accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, the blessings that God promised to David are, by God's amazing grace, also poured out on us. In summing up, David wanted to instill in his son the heart of what it meant to live well and rule well. His desire for his son to live wholeheartedly before the Lord um, his desire was for his son to live wholeheartedly before the Lord, that the blessing of God would continue upon his kingdom. Perhaps the words of Jonathan Edwards sum up this ideal for us. Resolved that all men should live for the glory of God. Resolved second that whatever others do or not, I will. So do you have situations you need to face like a man, as David put it? Are there areas of relationships which you need to face and deal with? Has God been highlighting them to you today? Are you living wholeheartedly for God, or are you expecting his blessings, many of which only come through faith and trust in him? Are you continuing to build that close friendship, that honest and intimate relationship with God? And do you need to commit yourself once again to walking wholeheartedly before him. Lord, I just ask that as we finish, God, that you would speak into our hearts, Lord, where there are situations we need to face. God, would you help us face them uh, by your grace and with your mercy. Lord God, thank you that you don't expect us to do that on our own. Lord, and thank you that when, you're, uh, when you call us uh, to have a relationship with you that's honest, open, uh, that's intimate, Lord. You give us the wings that enable us to do that, Lord, as it were. God, that you enable us through Jesus to to receive your Holy Spirit and to live in a way that you've called us to, God. We thank you that it's not about us, Lord. It's not faith, um, uh, Lord. God, it's not faith without grace. It's faith with grace. And God, we ask for your hand to be on us as we go. Amen. Thank you, David. I, I just feel there's another response for us to make to this. Mel, can I ask you to just come and play for me, please? That would be really helpful. I just felt as we were uh, listening there that God hasn't finished with us quite yet this morning. And I just want to take a couple of moments just to 
uh, allow ourselves just to be before the Lord and say, God, what is it you have for me? What's my action out of this this morning? Having heard all that David has brought to us so helpfully, what is it that I need to do? What is it that God's putting on my heart now? What is it that he's speaking to me about? So can I just ask us just to be quiet before the Lord now? As Mel plays, I want to encourage you to pray and be asking God very specifically now, what is it, maybe the one thing, what's the one thing you're taking from this morning? What's that application for you that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about now? Let's allow God to speak to us. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to living for you today, this week, Lord, this year, Lord, for the rest of our lives, as long as you might give us breath. And we pray, Lord, that we would be hearers of your word and indeed doers of it to your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.